Hey guys, Chad here, and welcome to another edition of the Chad Shipley Show, where I bring you interesting, insightful, and entertaining content or people. My guest today is EJ Hall, and a follow-up to one of my most popular and listened-to episodes to date. The last time EJ was on the show, he talked about his life of heroin addiction and his path to recovery. That episode was raw, it was real, and it struck heavy emotions across people far and wide. Because it wasn't just a story of addiction, it was a story of being at rock bottom, stripped of any and all ego, just feeling as if there's no way out. Unfortunately, we are all going to hit rock bottom at some point in our lives. Whether it's the passing of a loved one, a broken marriage, a loss of a career, we're all one day going to find ourselves feeling hopeless. And it's stories like EJ's that we're going to find, we're going to listen to, and it's going to be our anchor of hope. I asked EJ to come back onto the show just to continue sharing parts of his story and efforts of it helping any and all that it can and it is by far the most powerful and emotionally driven conversation to date. May it, God willing, find the person who needs to hear it. I cannot thank EJ enough for his incredible amount of courage. I actually text him after the show just to tell him that I was literally in awe of him and the person, the man that he's become. I'm not sure that his complete selflessness and his high caring for others, I'm not sure that that even shines through on the show the way that I know him to be in private conversations. But I can attest that his courage, his character behind the scenes when no one is watching is second to none. He's as humble, loving, and selfless of a person that I've ever met, and I consider myself beyond honored to call him a friend. Without further ado, please listen to this breathtaking conversation with none other than EJ Hall. We're live, EJ. Welcome Chad. back to the show, man. Thank you, bro. Appreciate it. Looking uh, forward to it. Thanks for having me. Dude, I appreciate you coming in, man. You're the first one in the new studio. Yeah, I like it. I like the setup you have. <laughs> I love it, man. I love we it. We got the mood lighting on. Yeah, we do, actually. Yeah, this is awesome. I enjoy it. This is nice, though. Look at that. Dude, I, uh, I'm so glad to have you back, man. You're So just for the some of the listeners out there, some might be aware, but you were already on the show. Right. It was... One of the, I'll put it in the top three, most listened to shows okay. on, on my show. And I've had so many people reach out to me about it. Right. With either a, you know, um, some thoughts on it, how much it impacted them. Right. And how much they really enjoyed it. And I think the reason it's so popular, I think the reason that it hits so many people is because it was just a really raw and real conversation. I agree. And your story, while you know some people might not be able to relate to the specific things you went through, right? I think it was a story about really hitting rock bottom in life, absolutely. You know? um, which ultimately will be a place that all of us find ourselves at at some point in time. Right? Could be death of someone very close to us. It could be drug and alcohol addiction, it could be a failing business, a failing marriage. I think at some point we all will hit a level of rock bottom and I think people either consciously or subconsciously realize that. So to hear a story of someone that's been there and has been through hell right. and has figured out how to come out of that, um, I think it's just kind of the hero's story and a lot of people grab onto that as a an anchor of hope if you will. So after that conversation, you and I had talked a little bit. Right. And 
one of the things that you talked about was how how you were glad that you were now being open about sharing your story, but you wish you would have spent a little bit more time talking about the climb back out, yeah. right? How right. to, how to, for the people that, because you're, one of your goals now is to share the story, um, to help people that might be going through what you went through right? and to give them sort of that light at the end of the tunnel and maybe a, a roadmap to get there. So, I think people that have not listened to the first episode need to go back and listen to that. But right. just to catch everyone back up, why don't we start with the part where your parents, your dad has something going on where he knows he's got to come and find you. Right. They get to you and um, you're in a pretty bad place Absolutely. at that <clears throat> point in time. So take us from there. Like, Just walk us through... Okay. I think it was a trailer in West Virginia with no running water. Trailer in West Virginia, no running water, no electricity. Um, it was just a place really where we got high at. To just you know, to be frank with you. Um, and first of all, thanks for you know having this platform and giving me that opportunity to share with people. Um, that means the world to me. I want to say I want you to know that. Uh, when I was living in West Virginia, um, my parents showed up at uh, our trailer and. They had, I didn't, no one knew where we lived at. You know, that's the honest to God truth. None of my friends who I haven't spoke to in years, my sisters who I'm extremely close to, uh, we get, I get a banging at the door one day. Um, actually, if you don't mind, I'm going to tell the whole story so people truly understand yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. the severity of it. Um, so one morning I drove, I left West Virginia, drove, drove to Pittsburgh to, you know, cop, you know, get my drugs, drove all the way back to West Virginia. When I got back to West Virginia, I got high and I was sitting on the couch and I was at this crossroads. You know, I knew I really started to feel the severity of where I was at in my life, what was going on. Um, I, I truly in my heart of hearts felt I was on the verge of death. I gave it another month. I don't think I, I don't think I would have survived. Um, I went outside um, and I started to scream about the sky. I, I, was, I was speaking to God. And my higher power as I see him. And, um, I mean, I was, I was pretty upset. I'm crying. I'm screaming at him. You know, if you're real, you know, you have all these powers. My father, my mom, everyone I know, they pray to you. And I need you to help me. I need you to save my life. Um, I mean, it's a lot more in depth than that. But it, it, it's, you know, in a nutshell, that's where I was at. 20-minute long conversation of me yelling up at the sky. I walk back in the house. Um, my girlfriend at the time, you know, she was on she was on the couch sleeping. I sat in my recliner. I went to sleep. About 20 minutes later, I get a pounding on the door. And um, at first, I thought it was the police. And I jumped up. I looked out the window, and I saw my mom. And then behind my mother, I saw my father and my girlfriend at my girlfriend at the time, her parents. So I'm like, oh shit, you know, I had there was needles everywhere. There was dope everywhere. Um, it was a bad situation for your parents to walk in on, to, to say the least. So we're running, I'm running around. We're trying to clean everything up before I open the door, and they're banging on the door. So I think, you know, I have everything cleaned up, I thought. Um, I open the door. My mom walks in. I try to play it off like I was sleeping, like I'm trying to rub my eyes, and she just walked right by me, no hugs, no nothing. My parents come in. Her parents come in, um, and they're saying, and they see a whole um, like a whole box of, of needles that we were using that I didn't grab. It was on my TV entertainment system. And, um, I was like, shit, you know, it's over. It's a wrap. You know, they see it. I walk back to my bedroom. My father follows me back there. Um, 
And, you know, anyone who knows me know I don't, I don't disrespect my father. I don't disrespect my parents. I don't cuss in front of I'm 37 years old, and I don't cuss in front of my parents at all. But I'm, you know, F this and F that. Why would you come here? Why would you bring them here? Like, you know, really going at my dad. And my dad's just sitting there. He's just looking at me. And um, I realized that's, it hit me that, you know, my father was standing in front of me crying, you know. And um, it, it was a very um, emotional moment. Because, you know, all he, then all he said was, I need my son back. And, you know, he, he takes me out to the living room. We start the whole process. I'm like, I'll go wherever you want me to go, however long. I just know I need to get better. So I go to rehab. That, you know, it took me about 30 days to get a bed. I get the rehab. I went to a facility. Out, um, just, just real quick on that. How long had it been since they had seen you? Um, this, it was a while. I'd probably say seven months. Okay. Eight yeah. months. Um. You know, and I always, I would always call them and, you know, and say, Hey, I'm coming over. And I just, I just want it. Cause Did they, but you had been a heroin addict for how many years leading up to up that, to that point? up to that point. Yeah. Um, that was, this, I was on pills for the first two, an active heroin user for four after that. So years. Yeah. For years. So, and did they have any indication? Yeah, they knew. They okay. knew. I, I mean, they they tried everything they could to help me. Right. You know they didn't. This is something that there's no manual for. You yeah. know, no no parent knows how to deal with their child who's a heroin addict. Right. And um, uh, yeah. So it was um, yeah. They knew. You know, they tried to send me to a rehab facility before this years before, but I wouldn't. And yeah. then I, you know I would disappear for a while. So they yeah they knew. They just didn't know how to help me, to be honest. So then you, you kind of fall off the map for seven months. I'd right? fall off the map for months at a time over and over again, yes. And they, they had known that, you know, something was – that you were probably in a bad place. Yes. Okay. So yes. – so, and I know you had told the story about your dad, um, right. you know, kind of getting that feeling that he had to, he he had had to, to find you. Yeah. Right. Um, and thank, thank God that he did right. at the time that he did. So, so they show up and – and finally, you're at a point where you're you're ready to say yes to whatever the next step is. Yes. So the next step is rehabilitation. How like how long was it after that day? Were you able to get right into rehab? I know you had ran into some issues with. It yeah, took, okay. it, well, it took. <clears throat> excuse me. It took about 33 days before I actually got a bed. Yeah. So yeah. where were you at in between? Like, was this your parents brought you back in to no, their home? No, they left. Um, they, after we, it, they were there for hours that day, and you know we finally got a, uh, a hold of a place. It was about an hour outside of Philadelphia. It's called White Deer Run, and um, they were like, "Yeah, we could put them on a list." We, I mean, they called every place around you know they could think of. No one could get me a bed, and yeah. they all said the same thing: "We will get him in as soon as we can." That's right. how the process works. Uh, so after thirty days, they got the call: "Hey, we got a bed." And uh, so now we, that process could begin. So I know a lot of people speculate about this, but is, right. is this an epidemic? Like to the point where we don't even have uh, capacity for people that are ready <laughs> to go into a rehabilitation. I mean, it's, 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 it's sad. Yeah, it really is. I'd, I, I would agree with that. Yeah, I think it's an epidemic. But at the same time, Chad, to be honest with you, um, uh, it's, it's really hard to put into words because you you can make someone go to rehab. You can't make them get clean, though. Right. You know what I mean? So that I think the epidemic more is trying to get people to understand that there is a way out of the situation that they're living in. Yeah. I know me personally, you know, when they were talking about going to rehab, I, you know, and, and getting clean, it was 
I couldn't do that until I was at that point myself. I was ready to do that. Yeah, you, you gotta, know I mean? you gotta make the mental decision. I, Absolutely. I mean, even and so for people to even have a glimpse of being able to relate to this because it's 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 gonna be hard for a lot of people that have never actually been addicted to something. Of course, we talked about that on the first episode. The, right. the lady that was addicted to Diet Coke, and I said, "Man, this lady has no fucking idea." No doubt, for sure. Um, and and so for someone to even be able to relate to this, you know, like I. I see it all the time with people in the fitness. You know, they right. haven't made the mind up yet that they're going to actually commit to right. a lifestyle of fitness, right? Right. So I can't even imagine someone that's just trying to go through the motions of getting clean when they're they really they haven't made that decision that they're they're literally going to get clean. Right, and that's every aspect of our, our of our life, right? Like you can yeah. be your marriage could be fucked up, but it it won't get better until you make that conscious decision. Like okay, listen, these are these are my flaws that I need to fix, and until right. you recognize that in any aspect of your life that I need to fix these things, you know things are going to be the same in any aspect. You know what I mean? Addiction, you know, being a parent, uh, marriage, anything, job, your fitness, anything, anything. Yeah. Until you set your mind to it, you know, you're not going to be able to accomplish it for sure. And once you do set your mind to it, I think with addiction, it it's hard, right? There are relapses, a very possible thing, right? But once you do set your mind to something. Um, then you have a chance, of right? course, because right. and that and that's with everything, like you said, with marriage, with fitness, with with you know recovery. Um, but I I think that that's the piece that people often miss. They think that they're going to start doing, you know, I'm going to come to the gym five days a week, or I'm going right. to, you know, I'm going to go into this program. But until you have literally went in deep inside right. yourself, right, and you told yourself that this is the life that you don't want to live anymore, whether it be a shitty marriage or a, uh, you know, a shitty job or, um, you know, being in addiction, not being in good shape, whatever it is, until you are so sick of living that life and make right. a decision that you're going to live a different life right? and that you deserve a better life and that the people around you deserve you to show up as a better person, none of it changes. You know, nothing changes if nothing changes. Of right? course, so. absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And also, too, uh, a big thing for me is, you know, when you start that process of getting clean, when you get clean, it doesn't mean that, you know, life's going to be easy right. or that um, all the issues that you cause, like when I, all those years I was getting high and the things, you know, the things I put my parents through or the people, my loved ones, my friends, all the shit that I put them through just because I'm clean doesn't make that shit go away. It doesn't make everything okay. Like you still have to get clean. That's your, that's your first goal, right? Yeah. And when you get out, you, you still have to deal with certain things that, um, you know, that, that you started or that you created. And then on, even on top of that, you still have to deal with life as it comes after getting clean. And that's a very hard thing for, for some people to do. You know what I mean? Myself included. I had plenty of relapses because of that, trying to learn that life or dealing with life on life's terms. You know, yeah. you, it, yeah, it's, that's a big, that's a big part of it. You know what I mean? Is staying headstrong after getting clean, knowing you have still have to do certain things to remain that way. Yeah, and I, I mean, not to even draw a comparison to the fitness realm, but I spend so much time in this realm of the world, right? and I see so many people that they get down the path of starting to work towards fitness, right? Which is just like a person down the path of recovery. Right. The person that's going down that path of fitness, how easy is it to, for them to fall off and stay in bed one day, of right? Course. And right. then that, that turns into two days or three days. Now take that urge to not go to the gym right. and to sit in your warm blankets with your nice coffee and your donuts 
and live that life, take that urge and times it by 10,000. And now you're living the life of a a person in recovery, right? Because that is, that, that's always going to be there. That, that urge to go back to that high, right? You're you're chasing that high all the time. And I don't know what that's like from a heroin addiction perspective, right? but I've talked to a lot of people that have the backdrop on, you know, some sort of addiction, uh, or alcoholism. Right. And, and even myself with the alcohol, it's, it's hard to, to stay on, on track. Right. And I think, I think people like you with the story that you have is where people can clinch to some hope and to some light because every day is a struggle, right? It's one day at a time. So you're 30 days, um, go by, you get into a program, right? And you're actually you, you you're residing there. This is residence. Yes, I'm yes inpatient. Yep. Okay, it's so inpatient, yep. so how long are you there for? <clears throat> Overall, I was there for uh, thirty seven days, and after those days were over, you know, you yeah, they want you to go to halfway house, three quarter way house, something like that. Uh, I made the decision to go home. You know what I mean? Like I'm gonna go. My parents said, as long as you stay clean, you can come stay with us. You're not going back to West Virginia. You're not going back to around certain people. Yeah, so that that was. What's the process like? Um, <clears throat> not not the technical process for you. Trying to come clean and not. So I was actually um I I was arrested at some point and yeah. I was going into intake. Okay. And the guy in front of me was an alcoholic. Okay. And they ask you the questions because you're about to go into in, in the population in the, right. in the in the prison or jail or whatever and. They want to know, like, do you have an alcohol dependency? Do you have, you know, any okay, kind of addiction point, yeah. to drugs? Because if we, if you don't have those things, your body's going to start to go through some hell. Right. Right. And the guy in front of me said, yeah, I've been, you know, I'm an alcoholic. And uh, he actually was on his sixth or seventh DUI. He hadn't had one in 10 years. So he wasn't going to get um, as bad of a sentence yeah. as he, as he might have because he got reset there. But he, he, his life, he was, he was literally, he would work out of his basement and he called it his 12 step program. He would walk 12 steps up the stairs every day, drink, drink his, as much as he could possibly drink, Mm. walk back downstairs and work for the rest of the day. And he hadn't left his house in years. And after 10, he finally decided to hit a bar up and got another DUI. But I, I remember him talking to them and they were they were concerned about his physical and mental reaction without right you know so I'm just wondering you're going from you know using to not using right in this program is it is it painful is it hell yeah it's pretty rough man um when you, I mean you have to no one no one comes to your house to pick you up to take you you know they you have to find a ride I had to find a ride to um, a place in Southside you know where I meet up with the driver from this facility. Um, now you, I knew I was going, I got the call, Hey, on this date you're going. Okay. Yeah. So, um, I knew on that date, I asked him what time's the, the bus leaving. It was like, you know, 11 something. Okay. All right. Well now I know I got to meet my dope dealer before that. So I can get high before I go oh, up to the facility. Man. Now I'm even on top of that. I can tell you right now. And I know a lot of addicts out there, whoever is listening to this can, can, you know, consent to this. On the way up to the facility, a driver pulls over two miles before we got to the facility and said, look, you guys are going to get there. You're going to be searched. So whatever you have on you now, do it now and leave it at the gas station. Don't bring it into the facility. So it wasn't that he was telling you to do the rest of the shit, whatever you had. But that, I mean, that's how everyone takes it. You know, it's like your last, 
your last hurrah, I guess. You know yeah. what I mean? That's even if you were able to meet your dope dealer. You know what I mean? Right. You might not be able to, and you're already sick by the time you get to the facility. And yeah. in every facility's rules, no matter where you go, the first 24 hours, they can't give you anything right. because they have to wait for all your, you know, your urine screen to come back, your blood work to come back. So they won't even yeah. give you any medication to help you through that process. Yeah, so they that, need to know where you're at. Exactly. You're on, now, alcoholics, though, it's different because, you know, they can actually have seizures and, and, and die. So that I can't remember the exact medication that they give uh, you know, alcoholics coming in, yeah. but they do get something to pre- prevent them from seizing. Yeah. Yeah. So you use right before you go into the program. For sure. Yeah. And then I don't, I think I referenced this book last time we talked, A Million Little Pieces, yes. uh, James Fry. Mm-hmm. And he, he got criticism because it turned out that that actually, he fabricated a lot of that story. But he makes the description that he gives for the going through that withdrawal, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, was... Literally, like, uh, I I couldn't even imagine the pain. So, so you're going through this, yeah. And what you you said, like, there's a bed available, but what what is it? Are we in like a hospital kind of setting where you have a room and a bed and a TV? Or not? Well, when you're in um, the detox process, okay. Well, first of all, you don't. There's no TVs. They don't want you seeing what's going on in the outside world. They don't. I mean, you have TVs, but you're only allowed to watch like movies and. And nothing that's drug related or anything like that. You're not allowed to read a newspaper unless it's, you know, a newspaper from back in the day. You they have, you know, magazines on sports and shit like that, but they don't want you focusing on anything um, that is, you know, relevant to the outside world. They Current want you events, to, yeah. yes, they want you to worry about why you're there. Right. Now when you're going through the de- detox process, yes, you get a bed, uh, actually a comfortable bed in some places. Um, you know, and then you'll have like this large room where you can have snacks, you can have <laughs> Um, you know, you'll have a TV. It's basically like a big area for anyone who's in detox because you're not associated with the people in the rehab process uh, part yet. You're only going through the detox process. Yeah. So those are the people that you're with. And when I say get a bed, I mean, you know, basically you're either waiting for someone in this facility to graduate, as they call it, to get back in society, yeah. or you got people that will leave. Uh, so you're just basically waiting for your turn on the list to, to get in there. And then you have the detox process itself for most places is um, six to seven days in the detox itself. And then they move you to um, the actual rehab uh, yeah. part of it, which is either could be in the same building. Cause every place is different, Chad, you know, the, the place I was at, um, there was like a detox building here. Then the whole rehab, uh, you know, part on the rest of the, I was on a mountain. So it was, you know, throughout the rest of the mountain, every place is different. Like the, the gateway up off the center exit, that's one big building. Right. But you know, a quarter of it's for detox. Then you have the women's unit, then you have the men's unit. So every place is different, you know? So you had mentioned that your parents had tried getting you into rehab for years yes. and you were resistant to that. What, what, and I'm asking this because for someone that might be going through what what you were going through what was the hesitation or the resistance is it just that that lack of control where you where you want to be in control and you want to be doing the things you want to do is it the the just the need for the drugs and being scared of what life looks like without that was it going into one of these that facilities plays, and worried plays that plays a part the whole what you just said about um because, you know, how am I going to do anything if I'm not high? You know, I'm not going to have fun if I'm yeah. not, you know, high. You know, that plays a huge part. Also, I don't want to go through withdrawal because yeah. I know how bad they are. Um, I don't want to. Um... Just right there, let me pause you real yeah, quick. Yeah, Because you struck a nerve with me a little bit um, in a good way because trying to relate, right? And yeah. I think a lot of people listen to this, you know, um, 
might be trying to relate to some of the things that are happening in their life. It's not at the same level, but from an alcohol perspective, okay. I think a lot of people struggle with that fear of what does my life look like without this? Yeah, without a chemical, I, right. I still struggle with that, right? What does the Steeler game look like with my friends if I'm trying to be sober? What does the night out with my wife or girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever look like if we can't have a couple of drinks? Right. What does social hour with my buddies, you know, at the bar look like if I'm not drinking? What does a country concert look like if I don't have alcohol? Right. And I have these conversations with people all the time because in, in the fitness industry, when people are really trying to lose 30 pounds, guess what? There's no diet in the world that's going to support you drinking beer every night of the week. Yeah, of course. Right? So we got to have a rough conversation around, like, you got to give that stuff up. Right. And you just got to get away from it. But their lifestyle is so oriented and that alcohol is everything that they do. Right. Right. And living a life of, and I actually said to someone the other day, I said, you know, cause they wanted to wait until after the Super Bowl, And I said, I guess what? There's going to be something else after yeah, the right. Super Bowl. Yep. When it comes to the drinking, there's always something for me personally. I stopped going to country concerts because I don't enjoy country concerts unless I'm drinking. Right. I stopped going to sporting events because I don't like going to sports. So I had to replace all of the my lifestyle had to get flipped upside down. I started playing racquetball at five in the morning, yeah, and going to bed earlier at night. And I started to really fall in love with racquetball. I started exercising like crazy, fell in love with X. But my, I think that's what's so hard for people. And we're talking at a level times like three thousand when it comes to like heroin addiction, right? Because well, people, places, and things. Like I think you just answered your own question, right? Yeah. When you get out, they tell you people, places, and things. You can't stay clean if you're still putting yourself in those same, same environments. Yeah. You know, if you you want to say I'm going to stay clean, but I'm not going to go kick it with the dope dealer who you used to kick it with, right. and or go to the bar. In your case, you know, there's a saying: you go to a, you go to a barber shop long enough, you're going to get a haircut. Yep. You put yourself in those situations. Of eventually it is going to happen yeah. you know what i mean so i mean that's really your main focus is when you get out you really have to change all aspects of your life if you're serious about what you're doing so that was the big hesitation for you was i how do i do anything in life outside of the drug right, right. Yeah. so what did it take then i know that your your dad and your mom show up and right but what what finally clicked like that decision that you were talking about you know you have to make the decision in your mind did you just say like I'm gonna die if I don't like? Pretty much, but um, I you know again like I told you on the last one, I've relapsed. I went through relapses yeah. plenty of times. I mean, I've been to a facility three times, you know, rehab facility three times. Uh, my last relapse that I had on February 11, 2012, um, I didn't go to a rehab facility. I made myself stay home and go through it. You know, the the yeah. withdrawals because I, I used I relapsed. I had at the time I had six months clean when I relapsed. And I went out on like a like a two week bender where I was just getting it in heavy, and yeah. um, so I made myself go through the week, uh, the rehab pro- or withdrawal process um, for about a week and a half, and um, I don't think it was so much I'm gonna die, but like I knew I didn't want to have to call my father again and tell him I relapsed yeah. again. I didn't want to have to go through all that again, so I. That's when that was the first time I tried changing everything around all my whole entire environment, my the people, places, and things. It is when I, that was the last time I relapsed. I knew I had to change everybody who I had in my life. All that I was around so much negative shit at the time. Yeah. I, oh, I got this. I got some time under my belt. I'm good. I can go here. I can hang out with this guy, knowing damn well if I'm hanging out with this guy, I'm gonna wind up getting high. Exactly. Yeah. Everyone has that one friend you go to the bar with, or you got that one. 
you know, friend you go to the club with or whatever the case may be. I had that one friend I knew. If I call him, eventually we're going to get high. Yeah. So, it, you know, I, I had to really sit back and look at my life and look at everything around me and, and take in what do I really need or right. who of these people do I really need. And truthfully, it was none of them. So I, I had to really start changing some things about my life at the time. I think I actually, in my, my little um, performance playbook I wrote, I have this section on removing the baggage. Okay. And I think... I think any type of lifestyle change, there's a couple components to it, right? One is you gotta you gotta look at the baggage in your life that's really holding you back from getting the things that you want, and you gotta right. cut that, right? Right. Which is what you talked about. Um, but the other thing is finding the right things or the right people or the right inspirations or books or uh, habits or whatever it would be right. to put into your life. So for someone that you know is, I, I could I could almost you know imagine the person that's listening to this that has some sort of you know issue going on right now with addiction and they're and all of these things you're you're saying make so much sense to them right because they have those people they know that they're, they're the anchors that are just wrapped around their right their feet that are dragging them to the bottom of the ocean and it's okay like I'll, I'll cut those people out but how do I what do I do next like what it, what was it for you was it a person was it a habit was it a, a light like what was the thing that you, because for me personally, um, I just went through this. You know, I was in a pretty bad place over the summer, right? And I had a person come into my life that, you know, kind of um, was the friend that I needed to help put me on the different track, the track right. back out of. You know, I, 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 my mantra is time to climb, right? Like my right. climb back out. I needed that person kind of like hand holding me a bit, a little bit. I, yeah. I actually had two. Um, one was my best friend Jason, um, and then. The other one was my friend Shauna that kind of said like, "Look, man, we gotta we gotta get you back on track." Of course. Um, and so I, I'm just wondering, uh, what, like, what was it for you? Was it what were the things that helped you? You know. Uh, the, uh, all right. So my main thing is it might sound silly to some people, but I'm sure it won't. There, like music. I did music therapy. All right. Which music therapy is is I mean, music has stopped me from getting high. Music has stopped me from doing some dumb shit. You, there was. And then I put it once I once I got clean clean on uh, started that that road to you know getting clean again on February twelfth. You start getting some time on your belt, like significant time. I remember when I hit a year, Chad. I never thought in a million years I'd hit a year. So when I hit a year, I was like, you know what, this really isn't so bad. You know, I think I can. You know, let's go let's let's go for two. But first, before I get there, I need to take it one day at a time. Really, that's what I was doing, building that solid foundation. Getting close with my with my family again, my, my my mother, my father, my sisters. I mean, I, it was taking all these small things in life that I really I knew were significant, but not when you have nothing, right? And this is this is real. When you have nothing, I lost everything I had. You know, I didn't have a car, um, like a like a stable place to live. Um, you really realize like how. You know, life is so beautiful in in the sense of you really see what's important in your life. And that's why I, I started to pray more to my higher power, you know. And again, going back to starting that, that foundation, after my first year, going into my second year, I met my, you know, my children's mother, you know, uh, Amber. And once she came into my life, she had uh, she had a son, you know, uh, Rylan. He was four at the time. And, um, once I made that conscious decision that I'm going to get into this relationship and I'm going to, and I remember my father telling me, listen, if you're going to get with somebody who already has a child, you're taking that responsibility on for that child as, 
you know, that, that male figure that he needs. So all these things like dealing with life on life's terms, right? So once I made that commitment to, to be together with Amber, and now I have this little man to, to look after who now is, you know, 13 years old, who is, you know, the, the joy of my life who I'm watching grow into this, you know, beautiful young man. It was the greatest, best decision I ever made. You know what I mean? So once I made that decision at the time, I just kept building and building and building. And don't get me wrong, there were there's so many hardships along. This, I mean, February twelfth is right around the corner. That's my ten years, right? And um, I, in that ten years, believe me, I have been through it. Like been through. I mean, losing friends, losing. Um, you know, to, to go into a story, if you don't mind. Yeah. All right. Absolutely. So my my best friend, all right, who was actually my cousin, that I actually found out later he was my cousin through marriage. Um, Jimmy, Jimmy Hammerly, uh, him and I grew up together. And um, once I, me and Amber got together, you know, you, you have friends with kids, you know, life happens, you touch base when you can. And that's kind of where me and Jimmy were at the time. And um, <clears throat> he was still using from time to time that I knew about. So I knew I couldn't really associate with him because I couldn't put myself in that situation, right? And um, right after I had me and, uh, or Amber and I had our son Cameron, it was Cameron, about to be Cameron's first birthday. And um, Jimmy called me about two weeks before Cameron's birthday. And he was like, look, man, I'm doing good. I'm not using blah, 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 blah. I'm looking for work. And, um, you know, if you want to get together, I'd, I'd love to see you. And I was like, cool, man, let's do that. You know, actually, my son's first you know, birthday is coming up in a couple of weeks. You want to come through, you know, bring your, you know, your significant other and your kids. That'd be great. And, you know, if you need work, you know, the, the place I was working at, I can get you a job. Awesome. I set all this up for him. So Cameron's birthday comes around, you know, Jimmy's a no-show, you know, not answering his phone, nothing. He was supposed to start work at my company the very next day, no-show, nothing. Just He just disappears again. Then I find out he was getting high. Um, so a couple of years go by, you know, without hearing from Jimmy, and uh, he calls me, and I was mad still, so I didn't answer the phone, right? I didn't pick up the phone. He leaves me his, his voicemail. Hey, man, I'm sorry. I love you. I'm, I'm so sorry. I messed up. Please forgive me. Please call me, blah, 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 blah. Well, my resentments, you know, wouldn't allow me to call him. And I remember uh, about a week before his death, I remember telling Amber, like, hey, babe, like, I think I got a feeling I got to call Jimmy. Like, I should call Jimmy. She's like, yeah, you know, babe, just give him a call. But something always came up. Well, I'll call him after I gave him, give the boys a bath or, you know, whatever the case may be. But something was always more important than calling him. And um, I was at work one day, and my mom kept calling me. And I, I, I was so busy that day, I didn't answer the phone. And she wound up calling my boss. And my boss called me and said, hey, I need you to pull over. And uh, we, I got to tell you something. And that was the day I got the call. You know, Jimmy died. And it was horrible. You know, it was, um, it was, it was, it was horrible. Because all I could think about was because of my anger and my... Uh, and my pride, you know, wouldn't let me call him. And it, and it still eats me up to this day. It's one of the yeah. biggest regrets I got to, you know, to this day. And, you know, going to his funeral and seeing his mom there, you know, I was her only child. And um, I always wondered if I picked up that damn phone, could I have said something to him or, you know, or, or just anything, would he still be here? And um, it was a really bad time because then me and, um, you know, Amber and I separated uh, right around that same time, I was li I was back living with my parents, and um, you know, cause me and Amber had our own issues going on at the time too. So uh, 
And I was staying back at my parents' house, and thank God for them again. You know what I mean? My parents are like my guardian angels, I swear to God. And um, it was a dark place for me. It was probably the closest I ever got to relapse in that 10 years. I remember when the night we, we buried Jimmy, it was like too much to bear, for real. Like, it really was. You know what I mean? The, the, the guilt and the shame of not picking up the damn phone. You know, it, it was really eating at me. And I remember my parents went out to dinner, and I was sitting in the basement. And I was like, you know what? I got money in my pocket. I know who I could call. No one's going to know. No one is going to know if I go get high. No one. I don't have to tell nobody. And I was like, no, I can't do that, dude. I got all this time clean. Like, what am I doing? Like, I can't do that. No, but I'm going to do it. It was like I had this internal battle going on within me. And I, I lost because I grabbed my keys, grabbed my phone, was going to walk outside. And then my dad opens the door. He's like, hey, boy, what are you doing? I said, nothing, man. I'm going to go out for a little bit. Well, where are you going? I was like, I don't know. I just need to get some air. He was like, well, here, hold on, hold on. Like, you know, like talk to me real quick. Just, just sit down and talk to me. It's like he knew. It was crazy, yeah. man. It's like he knew. And we uh, sat down and, uh, you know, we talked and I cried and, you know, yelled. And, you know, he was there and I was cool, you know, after that. But so the main the reason I'm telling that story is because anyone out there who is, you know, trying to get clean horror is clean, you're still going to have to deal with shit. Like, you yeah. still have to deal with it. You just have to make sure that you have that solid foundation around you to, uh, you know, make it through those dark times. Because dark times, are they're there, man. Like, they're, it's going to happen. And, um, I mean, there's it, so much more than that, you know, it's, uh, that, we, you know, we'll probably touch on a little bit, but as you, you know, it's important that people know that just because you're clean doesn't mean life's getting, it's going to get easy. Like yeah. you still have to put that, that legwork in and, and fight through all the bullshit that's coming your way. You know what yeah. I mean? If anything, it might get harder. Yeah, right? of course. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think, um, one of the, you know, I know you were in a lot of pain and you had talked to me a little bit about this. Right the regret and the guilt and gosh man i felt like i felt for you because i i knew that i knew you were really feeling guilty you yeah. know for for not being able to do more or not picking up the phone and this is one of the this is one of the really i think tricky areas when it comes to the people that are surrounded and close to addicts right, right. because there's this constant war with what level of support is one it's just it's purely frustrating Absolutely. Right? it is really frustrating dealing with someone i I am emotionally drained dealing with people that are wishwashy on fitness right, I got <laughs> right? You. like people that or I'm going to come and, oh, well, this came up and I just can't get mo – like that is emotionally draining for me. Absolutely. Let yeah. alone someone going back and forth on literally destroying their lives, yep. right? Um, so I think from the support system, those people are emotionally and mentally drained, yes, right? There's absolutely. a level of frustration that comes with that. For sure. But even beyond that, there's this very slippery slope of support where – what level is enabling right and what level is sheer out like avoiding the person that needs you in the time that they need you the most right Absolutely. and you know putting myself in your shoes i have a friend that's trying to get clean or is supposed to be clean i got them a job they're not showing up and that is a level of frustration and when if you keep okay yeah i'm here for you let's get you another job you know right. that's now we're in 
an area of enabling. Yeah, right? absolutely. Um, because you're telling that person, it's okay. You know, it's okay. Keep shitting on me and keep not showing up. Right. right. And so that's the war that you go through. And then, God, something tragic happens and you live the rest of your life wondering if you could have or should have did something. And the answer is no. Like, I mean, there's no, because you doing any more than you're doing is going in the wrong direction. Now you're the person right. that's just enabling them and helping them. Right. And I, I deal with this all the time. I had, you know, someone just recently like tell me that they slipped up and that it was so minor. And why am I? And I said, because if I, if I, just go back to letting things be what they were. Right. I'm just telling you that it's okay to keep doing that, you know, and I can't do that. Like, I'm not just going to say that this was fine and, you know, okay, you're good now and you're clean and let's just get back to where we were. Right. Because like, I, I'm not going to put myself back in that situation. Um, I think you need to really figure out and get the help that you need. And then, and then maybe, in time we'll revisit the conversation but absolutely me supporting you any more than what like just saying no i'm just enabling you i'm just i'm just right. helping you to to rationalize with yourself that this kind of behavior is fine and i think that that's the war people play and i i saw you really getting pulled and apart with that tough. and i felt so bad i i knew jimmy you know um second grade i think was when jimmy and i first met and he was a superstar athlete just like extremely athletic right and all through you know um elementary middle school we were always really good friends and i know he had moved away and to a different high school at, at one point so i, yeah. I kind of lost touch with him but um yeah, yeah it, it broke my heart when i heard that and then to hear you know uh your story and your connection with him that was that was hard man and, and the unfortunate yeah. reality is that it's like it's like the guys coming back from war. Like it's almost impossible to talk to a person that is coming back right. without losing someone that right. was really close to them, right? And it's the same thing in the 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 addiction realm of the world. Like it's impossible. It's almost impossible to to have conversations with anyone that's been in that world and living that without them having someone that they lost, right? And that right. and that in and of itself is a is almost a driving force behind wanting to use again of course as crazy as that is right so what um i know i know and gosh that story of you just talking about after 10 years and almost walking out that door and you're i i mean i the stupidest for me the other day i was going to stop at a bar and have a beer and, a, and something to eat and and i just said it was so hard for me not to do that right it was so hard i i literally had to tell myself 10 times like that one beer is going to turn into six yep. and then it's going to turn into regret and you're going to wake up tomorrow wondering why the fuck did you do that? Why right. did you show up and just, why didn't you just go to Moe's man? Yeah. yeah right. I've had that conversation with myself 3000 times, but that was so, and I'm be, just being honest. That was so, people might say this sounds crazy, but it was so hard for me not to just go have a beer, one beer. No, it's hard. Man. And I, it's taken 15, 20 years to know that that one beer is not one beer. Yeah, you absolutely. know. And it was funny. I was talking to one of my friends after afterwards, and I was joking about like, gosh, like I, I mean, like I, all I wanted to do was go have a beer, and they literally said like that was probably ten beers. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm like, exactly. You know, yep. and um, and just the like what I considered really good willpower for me not to be able to, to, to walk away from that. God, man, I can't even imagine what you're going through wanting to walk out that door yeah. 
and even with your dad standing right there, the the urge to just say like, no, I I need to I need to go do this. I need to you do know? this, right? Yeah, it was heavy, man. It yeah. was real heavy. And and you know, with your story having that one beer, you know, it's like you're. I always tell people my my addiction is like a demon that is just laying dormant. You know what I mean inside yeah. me, and it's it's just it just waits day in and day out, and all it takes for him to win is for me to slip up one time, because that one time will turn into an obsession. Because like you said, you have one beer, it turns into ten. You wake up the next morning with that regret. I you know get high once, I wake up in the morning like, what the fuck did I do? And I got to tell everybody I relapsed. You know what? I don't want to I don't want to have to face that. So now I'm in a situation I'm gonna wind up going to get high again because I don't want to feel that regret and that guilt and all that other shame. It's just like some people get high because they don't wanna feel pain from their past, you know what I mean? Or or whatever the case may be, something that they're going through. So I, I don't think it's that one beer for you to be able to make that decision, it could have been where if you went and had that one beer and then drove home and something happened. You know what I mean? That that could have been the best decision of your life not to have that one beer. You know what no. I mean? So that's that's a that's a big deal, man. That's, that's you honestly be proud of yourself over that. For yeah, real. and I think that um, one of the things that you said was, you know, when you when you became a father, right. things changed a little bit. Absolutely, and that's not going to be the fix. That's not going to be the nope. cure all. I I listened to um, Cam Haynes. He's a he's a famous. He's probably one of the best bow hunters in the world. He's always he's good friends with Joe Rogan, so he's always on the podcast. But he's right. a he's like an ultra endurance runner. This guy runs like hundred mile races. Wow. Okay. And you know, Joe was actually asking him, like, what what took you from being this shitty person? Because he talked about, like, and you know, he was just this person that drank beer and didn't really want to do anything with, with his life. And Joe said, well, like, what happened? Like, how did you go from that guy to being the guy that runs 100-mile right. races, you know? Right. And he didn't really have an answer, but he did say, like, you know, being a dad, when he became a dad, you know, he, uh, he said something that I'll always remember because I think it, it was so – something that stuck like that hit me because it was it was something very relatable but it's one thing to be a lousy person it's right. another thing to be a lousy father mm. like if you want to be a shitty person that's one thing you right know? and there's and it sucks because there's a lot of people that love you like and i i've gone through this like you think people don't love you. there's people that love you and uh, yeah you deserve to be loved you deserve to love yourself you deserve to be happy and you know um it you you deserve the hug. You deserve everything, and I think there's people out there that absolutely love you and care about you. You know, even when I you agree. think that they don't, they do. And and I just you know that that thought of being a father though, you know, like that's a whole nother ball game, man. Now you have someone that's counting on you. Right. You know, they they have a whole life that's depending on you being like. A, a strong person in their life and right. um you know it's just not worth you continuing to indulge in these shitty and it, this is everything like I, the thing i can't stand is the the parent that sits on the couch telling their kid that they can be every anything they want right I'm like don't tell them that you're, right like you're lying to yourself like go show them that they can be anything absolutely by doing doing the things that you want them to do you know every parent that lives vicariously through their kids and sports it's one thing you know to take your kid to another level because of the things that you learned right it's another thing to be the person that couldn't hack it and then try to live your life through your kid you know get your okay. ass off the couch and go do some shit with your own life and then your kid will learn from that right and I think um, I think someone like you with your story to be able to come back and to build a family you know, and to be a father figure and to be a person for Amber and, and to be someone that shows up 
and even if you don't have a family yet, just be a person that shows up for other people. Like right. start giving back to others. Stop being the person that takes everything and mm-hmm. start giving. And then you're going to find fulfillment in that. You're going to find a purpose in your life, right? Like if you're just the person that consumes, like you're just the person that's getting helped all the time, you're you're not going to ever be fulfilled. You know, fulfillment comes in giving back, like being a contribution to this world, you know. And and like you said, when you're stripped of nothing and Mm. you have nothing, you start to see everything differently. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And um, and literally, like it's the, in the simplest of terms. Think of Christmas. Like I, you're, you always feel better when you give someone something that you really want to give them. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Yeah. Then you do receiving. Absolutely. And, and it's just the same thing in life when you start to serve others. And this is, this is people in leadership positions when they stop being the person whipping the whip yeah and just giving the orders and they right. start being the person that's building their teams and helping like so that every person under them is going to say one day I'm this person because I w- I was this person was my boss that's a whole different fulfillment in life Absolutely. you know and when you start finding that kind of purpose and I think what you found thank god you found it and again it's not going to it's not going to be the fix all the 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 urge is not going to go away. Right. But you have something to cling on to. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, so how many, um, how many kids do you have now? I got, we have three kids, Amber and I have three children. Um, and I was, that was really good. What you really just said that that's some, that's, that's, that's some real shit, man. Like that's really what I try to teach my children, you know, is, is being a, you know, my, me and my father relationship, him and I have, you know, growing up, I am the way that I am because of my father. Yeah. Hands down. My father is every bit of the man that I hope one, you know, I can be a quarter of what my father is, you know what I mean? So I'm trying to do the same thing with, uh, you know, with my children. And um, so we have three sons, you know, Amber and I. And um, when Amber and I got back together, you know, we were separated for, you know, a little bit over a year and, or a little, maybe before a year, but we, uh, we got back together and there were some things that had even changed in my life, you know, then for her um and, and and like i said before you know 80 percent of the reason we broke up was because of my my own pride you know not allowing myself to see everything that she was doing for my, myself and especially the kids you know working where i was working on the midnight shift she sacrificed a lot for to, to be home with the boys and be more of a mother than i could be of a father at the time and i wouldn't allow myself to see that because of my pride you know what i mean i was more like what do you mean i'm working 70 hours a week and i'm doing this this that and the other not taking the time to really appreciate my son's mother like i should have been you know what i mean so when her and i got back together um that was something that i strive to do you know even now and i want my three sons to see that you know i want them to grow up and be men that, um, you know, can, can appreciate what a woman does for them. You know, if it wasn't for Amber, um, I don't, you know, having 10 years clean this year is a lot of that goes to her from her support and all the love that she gives me and having my three sons to think about before I made a bad decision. When we were separated though, Chad, and that night almost, you know, wanted to relapse. It was extremely difficult. So I could only see my kids on the weekends. Yeah. And not seeing your kids after, you know, you're with your kids every day to go into on the weekends. Dude, it was horrible. Horrible, bro. Yeah. Like, I can't even, I'd rather go through withdrawal 
for a year straight yeah. without being without my boys, you know, and, and or, or even Amber for that matter. So being back, you know, together as a family and trying to live as an example to show them is, 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 um, you know, what I strive to do. It doesn't matter about me anymore. It matters about what I can teach my sons because I want them to grow up to be better men than me. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah. and, and, what you just said about not not coming home to your kids, I I mean that was literally I talked a little bit about you know me in the summer going through some some difficult times. I, that was so through my my split, the hardest thing for me was a complete shift in my life where I was working a lot. I'm building a business and right. I'm coming home to a you know a six hundred seven hundred square foot apartment and there's no Ella, there's no daughter, right. you know, that I can sit with on the couch. And, um, and even my ex, you know, like, it's just, I wasn't coming home to my family anymore. Right. And, um, and that was hard, man. I mean, it's still hard. Right. It is so hard. Cause I, I mean, anyone that knows me knows how much I love my daughter and how much I want to spend time with her and just be able to, you know, come home and draw with her or sit on the couch. And like, that was, that was what really was, was driving and fueling, a lot of just the alcohol consumption because I didn't, my, my life got flipped upside down. I worked 15 years in corporate America and gosh, saved all this money and put it into real estate. And then I sold all the assets and I built this business and everything's, you know, we're working through, you know, we open in January, we get shut down in March of 2020. And, you know, this is hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, right. on the line. And, and, um, and all of a sudden, I'm in a 600-square-foot apartment. I go from a 4,000-square-foot house Damn. with three rental properties to sitting in a 600-square-foot apartment by myself wondering, like, what the fuck, like, happened? What happened, yeah. Like, what, like, why did I work my whole life to end up here? Like, what is, like, what, what was it all worth, you know? Mm. And, and I think that that's the thing, like, when you, you know, and it's not that I was ever chasing material things, but... It was kind of like being stripped down to like, okay, well, you know, none of that shit matters anymore. Right. And and now I got to figure out what life looks like in, in this kind of current state, right, where right. I don't get to come home to my daughter. And that was a really hard thing for a long time. I was showing up and, mm. I mean, even, even just the story I told about, you know, going into the bar and having, it's, that's so easy for me to do, go in and have something to eat and have a couple drinks because right. I'm just so like you know, you work so hard towards something and then, you know, it turns out to be completely different than your life complaint turns out to be completely different. It's almost like you just want to sit around and like say, fuck it. You know? Oh yeah, <laughs> like, for sure. Um, and I, you know, it's just, it took, you know, like I said, my friends, Jason and Shauna, like I, I signed up for that 50 mile race and that kind of like just set everything back into motion. Um, but it's still hard. Like I just, just the other, I'm training for the hardest race in my fucking life right. coming up in July. And I still want to just stop in a restaurant and have five beers, you know, like <laughs> have one beer, but subconsciously know I'm going to have five. A lot. But, yeah. Right. Yeah. But I, um, you talked about your, your dad and I'll just throw something out here. I, um, I remember him when we played midget football yeah. and I was always such a big fan of him. I appreciate that. For a couple of reasons. One, he was always the guy that like I'm I respond well to positive reinforcement. Yeah. So, hey, you messed up, but let's talk about it. Let me give you some things on how to fix it. Right. Not the hey, you idiot kid, like can't what believe you, you dropped yeah. that pass. Right. You know, um 
and I don't know if that was good examples of positive and negative reinforcement, but that's the way that I understood it. <laughs> so I was always, I responded better to the coach that said, um, you could have did better and this right. is why, and this is how like we, you, we can work on that versus the coach that just treated me like I was a piece of shit. That was one reason I really liked him. I thought he took a lot of time with all the kids and um, to build relationships and to make them feel like they could do things that maybe they didn't think they could do. I appreciate that. Um, But the other thing was he was always in really good shape, you know. So, and I I, just to throw this out there, I'll probably get a lot of shit for this, but um, if you are a coach of youth athletics and you drink a lot and you smoke a lot and you uh, look like shit, you know, and you're completely out of shape. I'm just here to tell you that I don't know about, I'm not going to speak for all kids, but for me, yeah. that meant something. Uh, yeah. And I did not like the coaches that were really out of shape right. telling me to run sprints. Right. There's just something mentally in my head that was like, fuck this guy. You yeah, know? No, I get it. I and get it. I just didn't, and I don't, I don't care how good of an athlete they were in high school. Right. I, there was just something that bothered me about some big, out of shape, like piece of shit person right. screaming at me, and I call them a piece of shit because they were the, ironically, the same ones that were always just the negative reinforcement yelling right. at me. But that I just didn't, I didn't respond well to that. Um, and I think, I think a lot of kids are probably that way. And I, when you get into pros, it's different, you know. Like Bill Belichick has a resume, and he's like, you know, and adults can understand that he has a thinker and he's got a brain, and he's being hired for a reason. But right. I, there was just something always that bothered me about those. But anyway, you're um, I'll probably get in so much trouble for saying all this, but <laughs> your dad was always not that um, guy. He I was in that. he was in super good physical shape, right? And he was the guy telling me like that, um, you know, we we could do it better, or we can work on it this way or that way. Um, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, he's he's awesome. So I I know that when you were, you know, going through all of that kind of happened at once. Right? Yeah, we yeah, had right. our we had our show, right. Yeah, everything and, happened after your show, right? And then um, I I started seeing your Facebook lives, and we'll talk about those in a minute. Because man, fuck, talk about powerful shit. I appreciate you. I mean, I do I do Facebook lives, and I I think every now and again someone will tell me like, hey, I really enjoyed your Facebook live. But um, I mean, it's not the kind of stuff that you were like you were you were going deep. Right. And you were being raw. I mean, people have a hard time getting on camera, let alone getting on camera, going into the stuff that you were going into. I was scared to death, bro. (laughs) Oh, man. And we'll we'll talk about that. But I, so I, there was, I saw that coming out and then it stopped. Right. And you weren't on Facebook anymore. Right. And I know, I knew that, and I, God, I felt for you that you were going through the separation and that you weren't seeing the kids and that was tearing you apart because of everything we just talked about right we just talked about how they were such a staple and pillar and anchor to you right not living a better life right um and and they were your whole life and you you brought them over my house and they swam in the pool and i saw you with them that day and um i saw you being a father i saw you being a friend you were out there i got video footage of you chasing around (laughs) the yard (laughs) yeah with water water balloons balloons yeah and 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 god it was such a special moment and even um you know you and dave like you guys slapped hands and hugged it out and you guys had a conversation because you guys had a past of not getting along right for you guys to reconcile and um in my backyard and hug it out and and have a good day together god like it was all it was all so great and then things kind of like 
happen, right? right? Jimmy, God, and then, you know, the separation. And I don't know if that was the, the whole chronological set of events, how it happened, but it was all in that time frame that right. a bunch of shit started to Absolutely. happen. And so you, you kind of, um, I didn't see you anymore, man, and I got really scared. Um, so I'm so glad that we got to reconnect. Yeah, you I'm know, sorry. And, and, my bad to No, you, I know, I know. But, God, you came in this morning and, you know, you're talking about the things you learned and, you know, um, through your relationship and now trying to be a better man for your kids and for your, for your wife and um, and then the promotion, you just, your new job and you got promoted and, Dude, like I, I was trying to do six things at once where you're telling me a story and then you said something that like literally almost brought me to tears. You said, dude, I'd never been promoted, man. Yeah. Like this was a big deal for me. Yeah, and that's for sure. Why, like I stopped working and I look up yeah. and I'm like, shit, man. Like that's, yeah, man. that's fucking good stuff, dude. Yeah, it was, uh, it, was a, it was a great feeling for, you know, to, to work somewhere, uh, you know, my last job for a long time. And it was just, you know, you, you work hard, you work hard, you, you know, there's expectations, you know, you want to meet. So when I finally got, you know, an opportunity to, uh, you know, have this um, this thing that I can make mine, it was very, very exciting. I'm very proud of myself. Um, I never got to experience my boss coming to me and t- asking me, hey, this is the route we want to go. Are you interested? Absolutely. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. I'm going to learn as much as I can and take off and run with it. Um, it, it, was, it was, yeah, it was a great, it was a great feeling, man. It was yeah, good. It was awesome. awesome. I'm so proud of myself and it's, it's a big deal for me to be proud of myself, you know, cause it's something that like you and I spoke about before, you know, I'm not too keen on the whole pat on the back thing, but it felt good to finally have someone say, Hey man, I really like what you're doing here. I, you know, this is the route that we want to go. So I, it, I was really proud of myself, man. For that's, sure. That's that's amazing, man. I'm so, so happy for you. Dude. Thank so you, man. Proud. Thank you. So, you know, you came in the studio and one of the things I ask everyone before they come onto the show is, is there, is there no out of, is there an out of bounds? Like, is there of things course. that areas that you don't want to go into and, right. and that we shouldn't talk about? And it was funny. My last episode with Michelle Lutz, she said, no, 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 we'll talk about anything. And then like right off the bat, I'm like, okay, let's talk about this ayahuasca journey you had through <laughs> like, you know, so I caught her off guard with it, but she was totally cool talking about it. Right. And, um, so for you, you know, uh, you came in and yeah. I said, "Hey, you did the Facebook Live. Some of the stuff you were talking about. Um, do you do you want to talk talk about that?" And you kind yeah, of, of course, well, you mentioned your therapist, right? Like right. how they said, like it's it's good for you to talk about this stuff and to get it. Because when I saw you doing the Facebook Lives, I thought this is this is twofold, right? Right. This is helping people that have gone through something as traumatic like you know again see like a a glimmer of light to someone else and say okay like i maybe i can survive this fucking horrific things that are happening to me but i also saw the other side of it which was you using that as a mechanism for your own therapy to be able to talk about it openly to be able to just get it off your chest and to talk through this stuff as a form of therapy and it sounds like it might be that for you yeah absolutely. you know your therapy saying it. so um i think the one that i i watched you were sitting in like a truck um oh yeah it worked yeah yeah or uh, I, I think that that was the one but you had talked about some stuff that happened to you when you were a kid yeah so you keep referencing your your dad, um, he's not your biological dad, but he's right. in all rights your your father, he's, right? Yeah, he's my father, right? Yeah. So, what can you take us back to some of the things that you know happened to you 
and you know what what kind of impact that had on you in your life yeah it was um it was heavy you know it was um i remember being uh eight years old and um i was at this bowling alley and um and the only reason real fast is you know my therapist said you know the more you talk about anything you know that hurts you you know you know you get over it but i also feel that um pain continues to happen because it's also teaching you at the same time as much as it's hurting you it's teaching you some things at the same time and um but i remember being at this bowling alley and um when it was closed down i was it was a family member he made me go into the bathroom stall the handicapped uh bathroom stall with this other kid and who i'm assuming was this other kid's father and um he made us go into this stall and you know do things that no child should ever have to go through and i remember being um very confused very um it takes a toll on you you know and it's something i carried with me my whole entire life you know and there was um yeah it's it's very hard to process especially at an early age but i know what came from that was anger and uh, I carried that anger for a very long time. Um, being molested and, and abused, you know, physically and sexually is something that growing up with, I mean, I struggled with my own sexuality at times. You know what I mean? Like, because I didn't know, like, I didn't know what was going on. You know, I always thought that, you know, when, when I became sexually active with, you know, a female for the first time, like, I was so scared. I was so... Like, am I supposed to be doing this? Am I, I mean, did it really, psychologically, it's something that, um, you know, you carry with you for a very long time, you know, being the therapist and, and to try to talk about it. But you never really, I never really learned how to put it into words on, like, what it really, really did to me. But what it did do to me was um, the anger side of it got me in a lot of trouble. And I remember my mother always telling me, why are you allowing someone to live rent free in your in your head you know you're you know i'm out there fighting all the time doing dumb shit that i shouldn't be doing because like i in my mind the way i could justify everything was because well this is what this guy did to me so fuck it like somehow what i'm doing is getting him back but the truthfully he was somewhere else living his own life not giving a fuck about what he did to me you know what i mean and growing up um because like i said this was a family member and um he's no longer here now and um i always wanted uh always wanted some type of closure over it yeah i remember uh i got a call when i was at work that he died all right now i need you to understand my whole entire life people told me one day this man is going to die and when he dies he's going to have to pay for you know what he did to you right so my whole life i look forward to that day I looked forward to the day he came and had to pay for the things that he put me through. And, the, you know, the, the horror, I mean, I had nightmares for years. Like, you know, even with Amber, I, she, I would wake up in the middle of the night screaming and crying, and she had no idea. She's scared. She's like, what is going on? You know, and you have to, I have to explain what happened to her so she understands. Like, it affects, you know, it really affects your whole, your whole life. But the day he died, I remember um, Amber had to go to work. And she was like, babe, I'll take off work. I'll stay home with you. I'm like, no, 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 you're okay. Just go to work. I'll be okay. And she went to work, and I wasn't okay. Oh, I, I was not okay. 
And the first thing I thought of was like, this man died and I didn't want nothing to happen to him. I didn't want him to be punished for what he did to me. And as crazy as that might sound to somebody, um, you know, they tell you you have to forgive people, you know, not for them, but for you. You know what I mean? And uh, I couldn't forgive him for a long time. And I remember when he died, all I, all I wanted was a phone call. Even if he said, like, I'm sorry, maybe it wouldn't have fixed everything. But, but you know, it at least acknowledged what he did was wrong, and I never got that. And so the day he died, I was on my kitchen floor, like, in the fetal position for hours, crying like I'd never cried before. It was, I couldn't understand, like, why am I feeling so bad that this man, you know, died? Like, why am I hurting so bad? It was horrible. I mean, horrible, horrible, horrible. And all I cared about was um, I said a prayer for him, and I said, Lord, you know, I don't, I don't want him to go to hell. Like, I don't want him to suffer. I just want me to be better. I just don't want to carry this no more. I don't want to, I don't want this on my heart. I don't want to, I just don't want it anymore. And I woke up the next morning and I felt, I felt all right. You know what I mean? But, um, yeah, it's heavy, man. Like, it's heavy because I, I found out later in life that there's a lot of guys that go through it that are touched in ways or, and they just don't talk about it because, it's like a stigma behind it. I always thought if I told people like I'd be weird or I always thought it was my fault because like I must have had a bad I, I must have had to been a bad child to go through the things that I went through. You know, the pain. I you know, even now I'm thirty seven, you know, I can remember how much it hurt. Yeah, I remember the smells. I remember um you remember things that you know, things I'll never forget. And I always think about that child that that other boy that was in there with me. I don't know his name. I don't know whatever happened to him. I remember, I'll never forget the look on his face. I, you know, it's something that um, that will stick with me forever, but I don't hold the anger that I used to. Um, it taught me, and I was told later, what well, happened to him too? You know, it. Um, what happened to you happened to him. And, and it kind of made me mad because it's like, don't justify it. Don't, why are we giving him a crutch? Because, yeah, okay, it happened to me. So what you think I'm going to do, you know, my, you know, my kids? I look at my kids like I look at, uh, you know, Cameron is, is five years old, you know, three years. He'll be the age that it happened to me. I couldn't I would never I could never look at my child and think like that's OK. You know what I mean? Like, how do you look at a child and and think like what I'm about to do is OK. And then if you if something and then someone says, oh, well, it happened to him. I don't care that it fucking happened to him. I don't fucking care what happened to him. It doesn't give him the right to do it to anybody else. You know what I mean? And it took me a long time to realize what happened wasn't my fault because, you know, it, it was more instances than that. It wasn't the only time. It wasn't my fault. It's just a guy who did it. You know, he was a fucked up individual. And, um, and you know, now he's no longer here. But, what, you know, the only thing that bothers me from, like I said, is just the closure. There was no closure to it. He's gone forever. And I'll never get the closure to it. So, um, yeah, man, it was um, that was the hardest thing growing up, though, because you question a lot. You, uh, you, you have trust issues, especially when it comes to men, you know, talking to men. You know, every time when I had to get a counselor, I couldn't do it with a man. I couldn't. My counselor could not be a man because I felt. I wouldn't be able to open up about that to another man, you know what I mean? And um, and again, I remember being 17 years old, and I just had my first sexual experience with you know with a woman, and um, I remember the next day like I was so confused, like I was so 
I was at a point in my life like where I was starting to force myself to have sexual encounters with women just like to try to prove to myself that I wasn't gay or and um obviously I'm not but it like psychologically it's it I think it does a lot of damage you know to somebody you know they have to they have to fix a lot with their life and I know people that it's happened to that still use to mask that pain you know what I mean to I don't want to remember what they went through, so they get high to mask that. And I don't ever want to. Uh, I got high. I made it, I made decisions to get high. I didn't get high because I was trying to mask something. But I know that what happened to me was something that was going to take years to work through. And um, you know, there's times where I still go through it. Where I, you know, I'll talk to Amber about it, and she'll sit there and listen and. And I'll cry and, and, and she'll hold me and, and, and sometimes that's just what you have to do, you know. And um but yeah, so it, it's it's um it was it was a tough thing to, to, to experience for sure. Yeah, I think that um talking a little bit about you know, not not knowing what other people are going through right right so even as you said as a kid you you kind of acted that frustration out in other areas right of your life i think it's just you know a good time to reflect on that you know you see it in memes all the time that you don't you don't know what someone else is going through ever and um and we talked a little bit about this on the last show that you know the bull i'm very anti-bullying right i hate bullies some bullies are just assholes but right. a lot of bullies are just projecting something that happened to them you know they're either getting beat up at home mentally physically verbally and they're projecting that onto people that they feel like they have control over right or they're trying to take control of situations because they're in such chaos outside of those situations or whatever it would be you never know what people are going through so I think that that's a big, a big thing to think about, um, you know, for the people that are listening. The other thing is just the simple notion of saying that you're sorry if you're truly sorry. You know, I think that a lot of us have, we, we've all messed up. It's impossible not to mess up, right? And, 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 and we're not, there's not always a significance of like the situation we're talking about here, but there it still could be significant to the person that you might have wronged absolutely so you know if you're not if you're the dad that hasn't been involved in your kid's life for 10 years yeah it's going to be really hard to make up for that but you know what it might mean to that person to just have you acknowledge the fact that you made you know a mistake right even if it seems inconsequential to you or insignificant to you those simple gestures can go a really long way and i think as we said before everyone needs to feel loved and should feel loved and should have someone that reaches out and hugs them so whenever and wherever you can be that person you know i I brought up that you're your dad, um, who is in all rights, your father right. is not your biological father. I didn't, we didn't actually finish off the thought there, but the reason that I was bringing that up is because I think it speaks volumes to see a person that takes a child under their, their wing and becomes that father to Absolutely. them. Right. And so, 
you know, as we were talking about the path back out um, and the recovery, you don't need to be someone's biological father. You don't need to be, um, you know, have a big family. Um, and, and maybe you feel like there are people that don't care about you. But I think a big step forward is to start being the person that cares for others and helps others and um, puts themselves out there. And then in return, you will be rewarded with those people that love you to death the way that you, you love your father, right? And Absolutely. I think one of the other things that I wanted to talk about quickly was um, just this whole like powerful conversation around forgiveness that you're taking us into because gosh, man, I mean, I, I think what you said was just so beautiful because, you know, sometimes and maybe most often the forgiveness is not for the person that you're forgiving. It's for right. yourself, you know, because right. you're holding all of that in. And, you know, we, we had even talked a little bit offline about, you know, that this person's life that did this to you was celebrated in, in by people that were ignorant to the fact of knowing what he did to you. Right. And God, how hard is that, you know, to, to see someone that did these horrific things to you and that, and to see that that person be loved by others and that life celebrated, right? you know, as a person that was a good man, when you know all things other, and then still be the person that's on the floor crying when that person dies right. because of that, you know, that, that power of, of forgiveness and, and, um, God, man, I just, I think, you know, for anyone out there that's holding grudges or holding the anger, you don't have to forgive for them, right. but I think you have to forgive for you. Of course. And, um, and does that, does that make you any less of a person because you forgave someone that did something or should you feel guilty? No, like no. my God, no. I mean, like that's that the, the kind of person that you are. That, that it says you are by being able to do that, I think is what we all need to cling on to. And, you know, that gives us all something to reach for, you know, in, even in the in most inconsequential circumstances where we, we feel like we've really been wronged, right? you know, um, by friends or whatever. And, and just to be able to take a step back and say, you know, like, I forgive, I forgive that person. Because if I don't, it's just going to eat me alive. And that's really what it was, too. Yes, a beautiful way of putting that. Um, that's really what it was. And it was difficult to watch these, um, you know, this this man remarried, had a, you know, a family and, you know, his loved ones. And I would see on social media and talk about him like he was this the greatest thing in the world. And I, I remember watching videos and see these pictures and. And, and it like almost it made me sick to my stomach and I'm like okay at first you start thinking like well they love this man and you know that I mean really truly loved him and I'm like well wh so what is wrong with me right like why why am I different than the mother with those other kids or those the people that praise him and love him why am I different why if, if he loves them or that that family as much as he does why didn't he love me like that or um, you know, and, and I remember my mom, my mom did make a comment, kind of made sense. She said, well, maybe he does understand what he did to you and how, 
how horrible and horrendous it was. Maybe he does understand that, and, and he changed his life to make sure he never did to anybody else. And the love that he was supposed to give you, he didn't give it to you, so he wants to project that onto all the people he has around him now. And it made sense, but it didn't make me feel any better. You know, right. it didn't... It, it, it didn't help me. It just, um, but yeah, you know, it's, uh, and for, uh, you don't forget, I'm not going to for, I didn't forgive him to make him feel better or, or to make anyone around me feel better. If I didn't forgive him, it, it, it was, that anger was eventually going to take me to a place where I don't think I would have been able to crawl out of yeah. me forgiving him was me being able to let go of that situation and and accept the fact acceptance is another big one right accept the fact of it wasn't my fault i didn't do anything wrong he was a he was a he was an evil person that that made horrible decisions accept the fact that it happened and accept the fact that i need to make certain decisions to get through this the right way instead of fucking up and doing something the wrong way i think that was a um a, a thing i struggled with but um you know you get better with it you know, I get better with it, you know, day in and day out. It's, I still struggle with it a little bit, but I, I handle things in a much mature, honest and um, positive way than I used to. Yeah. I think you do a, a superior job at that, man. I mean, this whole time I'm thinking about all the inconsequential things that, you know, I spend so much time dwelling on and worrying about and gosh, man, it's just, they're, they're so insignificant and, I think just simple things like letting go, forgiving, um, would or just the things that I need to I need to focus more time on because that's right. that's gonna just let all the noise and chaos go from my mind. But I think ultimately maybe um, maybe maybe one of the the ways to you know kind of wrap up and summarize this whole conversation is that um, we live in a, a pretty unfair world. You know, right. um, there's there's levels of shit that uh, happen to us and, and those levels are different from all of us, but most of us are going to see and have bad things happen to us in our life. We're all going right. to hit rock bottom. And I think the only way we all have a chance is if we show up and love, you know, everyone around us, like surround ourselves by people that really love us. Right. And to be a part of that circle of giving, right? Like you don't, you don't want to be the person that's just loved and you take, you want to, you, you got to be a contributor back into that Absolutely. and, and you gotta, you gotta figure out how to show up better, you know, for yourself because you deserve it. And you got to show up better for your family because they deserve it. And all of the people work everywhere because we only get one chance on this place. Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, my ultimate fear is to live with regret one day of wondering what I could have done or what I could have been or who I could have been to who. And I think at the end of the day, one of the biggest and most powerful tools we have is just to, to find love, to seek love and to love others and to give as much as we can give and to contribute back as much as we can contribute back. And I think, you know, if nothing else, that's, that's our way out, mm -hmm. you know, is to, to find our role to find our fulfillment, to find our purpose in being a person that shows up for ourselves and that shows up for other people and, and to be there. And, you know, if you're a person in recovery right now or you're in addiction right now, you know, you you have a life worth living and, and you coming through that 
are going to be someone that can then save someone else's life, like the way you are now, right? I appreciate that, yes. Thank yeah, you. and I think you being able to come 10 years later, you know, and, and, and show up and tell the story, and God, and to, to be on, you know, like, just these subjects bring tears to the eyes, to your eyes, to my eyes, you know, like to talk through these super difficult things and to continue talking through them and reliving them because it's your way of contributing back. Right. And to, to start showing people like I care, I want you to be okay. Right. You know, to the people out there that you don't even know, right. You know, how much do you care about them? Yeah, absolutely, man. I, um, as we're talking right now, I know somebody's out there struggling. You know, I know somebody, you know, a parent is somewhere right now worrying about their child. And, um, I, you know, going to go off of what you're saying, it's like leading by example, right? You know, you go out into the real world, you should, you know, you want to give off that positive vibe. You want people that, that give back type thing. And I, and I've took for a long time, just to be honest, like in active addiction and even at my beginning of path to recovery, I took and took and took any help I can get. I took and took, and most times I didn't even need to. And now that as a father, I want to wake up. And I want to be the best man that I can. I tell my sons I love them. Like I, 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 I'll kiss my kids and tell them how much I love them. You know, I want to give off. I want to. I think I said on your last show. My goal every day, and I fall short in a lot of aspects of my life still, but I want to be a better man today than I was yesterday. And uh, it doesn't always work out that way. But I know I've. Um, I, I know I've came a long way. I know there's pain that I've caused people in the past that I, I still try to make amends to even now. Um, but I want people to know me as a person that has, yes, I've been through a lot, but I want anyone out there that's struggling through addiction or any part in your life that there is a, um, there's a way out and there's always someone that cares about you. There's always someone that loves you and just wants you to succeed. And no matter what you're going to or going through, nothing bad ever lasts forever. Just to, sometimes you got to take it five minutes at a time, you know, instead of one day at a time, just a couple of seconds at a time. Um, there's always, just find something positive in your life that is worth holding on to and just hold on to it. Build a foundation. And, um, you know, I, I, I thank you for giving me the opportunity to do this, Chad, for on your platform and. You know, I know there's a lot of people out there struggling. This doesn't have to relate to just addiction. Any any aspect in your life, um, just keep pushing forward. It will always get better. Um, I'm living. I'm a living proof of that. And um, yeah, man, I just it's. Uh, I appreciate you though, man. I really do. I really appreciate you taking the time, listening to me, and and really taking interest in this subject alone. And I don't talk to a lot of people about it. You know, I don't talk to a lot of people, especially about the abuse. Uh, I appreciate you, you know, really um, making me comfortable enough to do that. And uh, anyone out there that's, that has been through that, it will get better. And um, just keep pushing forward, man. Fight the good fight. And, um, yeah, bro, that's... Yeah, and I um, I appreciate you coming on so much, man, and just being so raw and real and being willing to talk with me. This is, you know, for me, this is a huge honor and privilege just to be your friend and to see someone that's gone through so much, you know, be so strong sitting in front of me. And I know there's probably times where you don't feel strong, but you're so strong. 
and the journey you're on, the journey you've, you've went through, man, it's, uh, gosh, man, it's incredible. Can and, I say one more thing? Yeah. I want, um, I, I know we talked about my sons a lot, my three sons, you know, Rylan, uh, Cameron, and Grayson. They're the reason I, I, I get up every morning to fight, but also I want to thank Amber for everything she does. You know what I mean? She's a yeah. great mom. She's a great, she's a great woman. She works hard. Uh, she sacrifices a lot for me, and she accepted me for who I was. You know what I mean? When we made that decision to get back together, she accepted the fact that I am not perfect, and I have made mistakes, and um, I love her with all my heart. There's, I, can, I, couldn't, I couldn't imagine living my life without her. You know, she's the only, uh, she's my rock. She is the glue to my family. And um, I push forward for her. Like, she is definitely my second half and someone I couldn't. So I just want to take the time to thank her properly because she, she is a huge reason why I am where I am. We're not, we're not a perfect couple. We've had our issues, believe me. But I, she is my biggest supporter, my biggest fan, and I love her so much, and I just wanted to take the time to let her know that I appreciate everything that she has done and everything she has sacrificed for myself and my and our family. So I wanted yeah. to make sure I, I said that for sure. And I think just, just listening to you talk through this, right, is a great, it's a great conclusion to our conversation and a great example of time telling the tale, right? right? Because the last time I talked to you up until, you know, a few weeks ago when we reconnected and, and wanted to get back together and decide to do another episode, the last time I talked to you, you were in a bad place and right. you, you guys were in a bad place and um, you were, you never said anything bad about her, but you guys were separating and right. um, I knew you were really hurting. Yeah. You know, and at that point in your life, I can imagine you felt like there was no way out and that there was no clear path and that things were really fucking hard and and the pain was really fucking real and like right. the struggle and like it's like how do we how how does this road ever come back on track and like right. what does life ever how is it ever going to be normal again and just to you know it's i think it's just a, a beautiful illustration to things change you know right. and that the shit you're going through now you're not always going to be going through it and right. that things can get better and that you can find happiness and you can find ways to work things out work through things and you can find people that will love you that might have loved you that that ended up hating you that might love you again you right. know because they only hated you because of how much they loved you right <laughs> to begin right. with um and so i i just think for me personally i've been at, there at times in my life where i'm like how do i fix this there's right. no fix there's no clear path and we as humans just there's a great saying out there i think tony robbins says it that we overestimate what we can do in a year and we underestimate what we can do in 10 years right yeah. everyone thinks we can go from you know being 50 pounds overweight to being in great shape within three months right. with our new year's resolution but what we don't think is that like hey just some consistent exercise over a couple of years and we'll be living a really optimal and healthy lifestyle right and and so i think that people just need to know that 
it's not about the next three months or the next six months. That's just where you start planting the seeds. But at some point, the beautiful garden starts to sprout and it's going to look like something that you never thought it would look like. You know, you just got to get back on the right track and start right. planting the, the little seeds and you you don't know what it, what it'll all become. But as long as you start looking for a better life and looking to to change the things that are really holding you back, right. you have a chance, Absolutely, you know, and then you're not going to see it. You're not going to see it. You're going to be in a dark tunnel for a long time. Absolutely. Um, but eventually, you know, all the, all the, all the little, uh, the things that you plan along the way are going to sprout Absolutely. and, um, you know, things will turn around for you. So hopefully that gives everyone a little bit of hope with your story and uh, you. you're a living example of the beautiful garden man i appreciate that it's now you. sprouted and um it's a pleasure and you know there's going to be weeds that pop up of course we just gotta fucking keep pulling them out that's it man just be willing to work like you said just to, all it takes is you make that first step be willing to go for it whatever you set your mind to you tell yourself you want to be we're say 50 pounds overweight to that healthy lifestyle all the, as long as you have the willingness to make it happen you'll make it happen we can talk all day. You know, sometimes yeah. it just takes you to get out of bed and just start walking. That's yeah, it. Yeah, do it. Yeah. That's it. I love it, man. We'll end there. Thanks so much, brother. Oh, thank you, bro. I really appreciate you, Definitely, man. Definitely, man. All right.